So our Bible reading is from Acts chapter 18. And the context is that the Apostle Paul has been traveling throughout the ancient Roman world and spreading the good news of Jesus. Uh, the year is AD 50. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and they became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God, and Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And our second Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. It's now around 54 AD. This is four years after Paul's first brought the gospel to Corinth. And Paul writes this letter. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and elegance, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Thank you, Alan. And gee, I'm so appreciative you brought us that news from India. Uh, and uh, please continue to pray for our brothers and sisters there uh, and for Daniel, uh, our pastor that we support in North India. Uh, that's really important. Um, I wonder if you've um, heard of toxic people. Have you heard that kind of label, toxic people? When I was growing up, the word toxic um, just meant a poisonous chemical. Uh, and you'd often use it to talk about toxic waste. Uh, but over the last 30 years, uh, here it is, this is Google graphing how we use words, and over the last 30 years, this, this phrase toxic people has come into use, uh, and it's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and uh, a, a toxic person is a person who makes your life miserable. Um, it started with the book, the best-selling book, Toxic People by Lillian Glass. Uh, and notice she identifies what she calls 30 toxic terrors. Uh, these are 30 types of people that you may have in your life uh, who are toxic people. You know, the control freak, the meddler, the bossy bully, the arrogant know-it-all, the liar, the snooty snob the penny-pinching miser, uh, the emotional refrigerator, <laughs> the gossip, the jokester, the chatterbox, cut you down, a runner, non-confront. Now, as you read that, what, what, what are your thoughts? <laughs> you start to think, man, am I going to have any, le any friends left, you know? If I get, uh, sorry, sorry, that's what you might be thinking. Yeah, I, I've got great friends. Uh, um, but if you were to get rid of all the, the toxic people, how many people would be left? Uh, lots of them. Um, but yes, yeah, so what, what she's saying is that there are people in our lives that make our lives miserable for a whole bunch of reasons. She defines a toxic relationship as any relationship between people who don't support each other, just show us the, the quote, any relationship between people who don't support each other, where there's conflict and where one seek, seeks to undermine the other, where there's competition, where there's disrespect and a lack of cohesiveness. Uh, there you have something of a definition of a toxic relationship. Now, based on that definition, you would have to say the church at Corinth was a toxic church. Uh, and uh, the interesting thing is, Paul doesn't write them off. You know, if something's poisonous in your life, you can be tempted to say, I just need to cut it out of my life. Uh, but thankfully, Paul doesn't say, you're toxic, so I'm going to cut you out of my life. He believed that because these were fellow Christians 
then he believed there was the power to change in their lives. And so he writes this letter with a clear goal. And the goal is to create a deeply united community. So look at verse 10, where he kind of comes out with this heartfelt appeal to the church in Corinth. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there might be no divisions among you, but that you might be perfectly united um, in perfectly united in mind and thought. So that's his heartfelt desire. That's where he wants to take the Corinthian church. Um, and that is what God wants for us as well. Um, and I just want to be, I want to assure you that we haven't chosen the book of Corinthians because there is a particular issue uh, of division amongst us here at, at church. We just randomly take books of the Bible. Uh, but we'd be naive to think that there aren't divisions amongst us. And what we need to do is take on board God's concern for us. We've been saved to become a deeply united community. Uh, and we need to be willing to take an honest look at ourselves and think, what, what, what is holding us back from that? Uh, and what do we need to do to head in that direction? So I'm going to lead us in prayer that God, through his word and spirit, will be working to that end, even here amongst us today. Uh, so will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are your children. Uh, you love us, you've forgiven us, and you want us to be a community of genuine love, of deep connection. So please unite us, even today, through your word and spirit, so that we might shine the light of your love, that we might shine the light of the good news of Jesus into our region, which is so lonely and divided and lost. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if unity is the goal towards Paul. Uh, to which Paul is heading the Corinthian church, where are they now? What's the reality of their situation now? Uh, well, next point, now they are a blessed community. Right? They are already a blessed community. Pick it up in verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. See, the Corinthians were sanctified already. That is, they had been washed clean of every sin. Uh, they'd been made holy in God's sight, acceptable to God. Not because of their own performance, but because of the blood of Jesus. And that is true for us as well. As each one of us puts our trust in Jesus, so we are sanctified, washed clean, amazingly. Sometimes it's hard to believe, but it's true. As we put our trust in Jesus, all our guilt and shame is washed away uh, and we are made holy in God's sight. Um, secondly, they're blessed because they are a charismatic community. I want to pick up in verse 4, where Paul talks about his thankfulness 
I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now the word grace, does anyone know the Greek word for grace? Charis, right? Charis, right? So it's a CH type. Uh, Charis, yeah, so grace is charis. Does anyone know the Greek word for gifts? It's like charis. It's charismati, right? Charismati is gifts. Uh, And here here Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And so he says, you Corinthians, you've been blessed with the charis of God and you have, you're charismatic. You have all these gifts that God has given you. In fact, God has not withheld any spiritual gift from you. Uh, And it's the same with us here at the lakes. God, our Father, is so generous and he holds nothing back. But what we've got to take on board is that it's as a community that we have every spiritual gift. That he's blessed us as a community with everything that we need to thrive and grow in love together. That's what it is to be a charismatic church. Not to be confused with the kind of the denominational label charismatic. It's just a church who has been abundantly blessed by God. Thirdly, they were secure. Verse 8. He will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So God is faithful and he will keep you firm to the end. Uh, It's just this confidence and security that they have uh, that God will keep them uh, and grow them and perfect them. Uh, And it's the same for us. As we come to Jesus, we are given a confidence that he will keep us safe. It's not like Jesus saves us and then says, you're on your own now. Now, he will protect us and keep us safe to the very end. Uh, And I reckon what we see in church communities is like a waterfall of blessing where God our Father just pours out every spiritual blessing on his people uh, because he is a generous God, amazing grace, uh, abundant grace. He just pours it out on us freely not because of our performance, but because of Jesus Christ and as we put our faith in him. So like the church in Corinth, we are blessed in so many ways. And yet for, for the Corinthians, in spite of all those blessings, they were a divided community. So I've called them a blessed but divided community. Um, verse 11, pick it up there. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, 
I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Kephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Now, the ancient city of Corinth was just down the road from Athens, right, in the heartland of ancient Greece. Uh, And by this time, they had had a history of the great philosophers uh, and public speakers. You know, you think about the great philosophers of our world, and they came from Greece on the whole. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, uh, so many names that you could mention. Greek culture loved public speaking. They loved powerful reasoning uh, that is delivered persuasively. Uh, Profound wisdom. And it's quite possible that the Greek culture had a sense of following different philosophers like we follow our footy teams. You know, I follow Plato. No, 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 Plato is old school. I follow Aristotle. No, I follow Socrates. You know, and they have their little quarrels and their debates and rivalry about ideas and personalities. The problem is they brought that same sort of thinking and rivalry and competitiveness into the church community. So, Paul preached the good news of Jesus to this Corinthian town in 50 AD. And many people became Christians. Paul stayed there for 18 months and a church was formed, a healthy church. Even leaders of the synagogue became leaders of this Christian church. Now then not not long after Paul left... Another young Christian, but a powerful speaker, came into town, Apollos, right? And he was the real deal. He was genuinely Christian, great communicator. In fact, he was more of the classical Greek persuasive kind of communicator. More, lots of people found him just more compelling to listen to. Uh, and so it's like, oh, Apollos is up today. How good is that? Um, and then there's a good chance that the apostle Peter came to town as well. He's also known as Kephas. uh, And he had the credentials of having been with Jesus and been the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. So there's a sense of gravitas with, you know, because Paul came afterwards, but Peter was there from the very beginning. So you've got a church that has been so blessed, like unbelievably blessed, Three of the greatest preachers in the ancient world spent time in this church. Faithful, profound, and yet the Corinthians turned their preaching into like a a competition. And they each have their favourites. Verse 12, I follow Paul. No, no, Paul is boring. I follow Apollos. You know, he stirs my heart. Oh, no, no, no. But I follow Peter, you know, because Peter, he gives you that kind of tie back to Jesus. Well, I don't follow Peter. I follow Christ. And, then, and, and, and there's this rivalry. And Paul says, it is evidence of your spiritual immaturity. Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. See, they, 
the Corinthians prided themselves on their spiritual giftedness. They prided themselves on their knowledge and maturity. They kind of thought that they were better than others. But for Paul, their quarrels and divisions was evidence of immaturity. They needed to grow up. Now, as I say, we're not doing Corinthians because I've detected a big problem amongst us, but it would be naive to think that competitiveness and quarrels would not come into our church as well. Um, So, here's the question we need to wrestle with. Are there divisions amongst us? Um, And you guys have got to help me work this out. Um, Because sometimes they don't always filter up to me. You know, sometimes they kind of simmer below the surface and I don't kind of hear about them. Um, But do we barrack for our favourites? You know, I I follow Darren. Uh, I follow Tim. You know, I follow Dave. Um, I want to assure you we're not here to compete with one another, are we, brothers? No, we're not here to compete with one another. We just, we want to work together not compete. Or maybe there are divisions um, that come because yeah, below the surface there is gossip or grumbling or complaining. Now, it's hard to believe that it wouldn't happen because that is the character of the world in which we live. You know, and just like the Corinthian church were in, uh, kind of infested with the spirit of their age, it's so easy for us to be infested with the spirit of grumbling and complaining and consumerism, where we kind of just create these little seeds of discontent in the way we talk about church or each other or others. And it, bec- and it just becomes an unhealthy unconstructive criticism. Or maybe for you, there have been discouragements that you haven't kind of gossiped and complained to others about, but you've kind of internalised them and they've caused you to pull back and disconnect. Um, I guess I'm asking, what are the divisions in our church? Let's Let's identify them And let's work out what part am I playing in them? Uh, And what am I going to do today to kind of address that? Now we come to the how, right? So we've we've got the now, they're blessed but divided. We've got where God wants them to be, a deeply united community. How are they going to get there? Now... Uh, that's what the rest of the letter is about. So I'm not going to preach for the next five hours. Um, But I want to say a couple of things. Firstly, God is willing and able. Uh, This is the thing that we Christians have. We have the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Uh, the the, the, The simple, easily to dismiss message about Jesus crucified is the power of God, not only to save us, but to transform us. And we'll be hearing more about that next week. So come along on Mother's Day. The simple, easy to dismiss, but powerful message of Christ crucified. 
Um, and what God is doing amongst us is he is creating a unified community. And he is able and willing to do it. But he calls on us. He doesn't say, well, just sit back, guys, and I'll do this thing amongst you. He calls us to active cooperation. Right? It's not just passively sitting back, but actively saying, how can I work with God to create a deeply unified, deeply kind of heading in the same direction community? Uh, and so let me tell you some of the points of action well, where we get practical. Um, firstly, if there are divisions amongst us, Jesus calls on us to deal with them today. Right? Don't just go, oh, yeah, we have got some divisives, divisiveness there. Don't just kind of sit with that. Actually say, well, what am I going to do about it? Because I'm part of this community and I am in part responsible for what I can do to make a difference. So what would it look like to deal with division? Would it be to forgive someone uh, who has kind of offended you? Uh, or maybe taking, a, taking the time to talk something through with a brother or sister. Changing the way you talk about others. Trying to cut out that kind of grumbly divisiveness. Changing the way you think about others. What would it look like for you to deal with the divisions in your life, especially as it relates to this church family. Because if we allow divisions to remain undealt with, they will stunt our growth. We will not be the sort of community God wants us to be. We will remain spiritually immature. And it's a bad place to be. It's just a miserable Christian life to live in spiritual immaturity. God wants us to grow and flourish and thrive. And, we, and if we remain immature, we dishonour Jesus and we fail to take up the opportunities that God wants us to, to take hold of. So there's the first one, right? Deal with division. Secondly, this is about... This is not about conformity, but collaboration. Now, the reason I say that is because have you look at verse 10 again. Look at verse 10, especially when you think about the spirit of the age in which we live. Verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there might be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. You could read that and feel like church is kind of like a sausage factory. You know, you know what I mean? It, it, it could feel like it's just, a, just a, a superficial conformity with one another. That is not what it's talking about. It's talking about collaboration even in the midst of differences. And this will become clear as we continue to head through the letter, right? It's, an, it's a great letter. It's action-packed. But in chapter 12, Paul describes church as a body. And he says, just if you have a body that kind of, you know, 
is a unified body, but it has different parts. Um, and all of us are like different parts, bring different skills and abilities and so on to the one body. So you think about your own body. Um, I've been getting back into um, running lately. It may not look like it, but what happened was um, Ruth broke her toe. Right? I broke my foot last year. Ruth broke her toe a few weeks ago. Right? And so we haven't been walking together, so I've been doing some running. And so I run up a hill. And uh, it is... So what happens when you run up a hill, right? So you're running, and your legs, I reckon, do the bulk of the action, you know, and, and they sort of drive and, and rippling kind of, you know, muscle as you sort of head up the hill. So, so the legs are definitely doing the, the most powerful job, but then your arms are also this kind of swinging. Your mouth is just sucking in the air, but it kind of, there's a lot going on inside as well, because what happens is the air then gets taken by the lungs, transferred into the bloodstream, sent to the heart. The heart then sends it through and renews the, you know, the legs. And, and your eyes are kind of looking to the top of the hill, thinking, oh, that's where I've got to go. Anyway, and, and you just, we don't even think about it. But it's just this body in beautiful harmony to produce the end goal. And Paul says, that's what church is meant to look like. It's not that we're all the same, and we don't need to all become the same, but we all need to have a common goal, uh, a common focus, a common commitment to the good of the whole, so that in our differences, we actually bring about great things in harmony with one another as we pull together. Um, thirdly, oh, sorry. Um, so, I, I guess I need to ask you the question: How are you playing your part? Right? You think about what part am I in this body, and you don't need to identify yourself as a foot, or as an earlobe, or anything like that. Right? You just need to think: What part am I playing in this church community to build it up, to unite? To, to do what we need to do to honour Jesus. Um, and I just want to encourage you, don't rob this church community of the gifts Jesus has given you. He's given you what you have for the purpose of building up uh, his church. Thirdly, this is not about avoidance but healthy confrontation. Now, I feel very nervous about saying this because I, um, I don't want some people to be overzealous uh, in applying this. Uh, and I will say some things to kind of correct this in a moment. But sometimes people can be tempted to avoid confrontation in the name of unity. And what will happen is that will bring about a superficial unity in the short term but in the long term, it, 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 will be, it will actually undermine unity because there will be all these issues that are left unaddressed. And what I want you to notice, um, as Paul writes this letter to deal with the, the disunity in Corinth, he doesn't hold back from controversial issues. Um, he'll talk about issues of gender roles, Sexuality. He'll even talk about homosexuality. He'll talk about marriage and singleness and the relative benefits of both, speaking in tongues, other spiritual gifts, church discipline, 
um, legal proceedings that might happen even within a church family, lots of potentially explosive stuff, controversial, the sort of thing that you might go, oh, gee, that could create some hot emotions. Uh, and what Paul, what Paul wants, because this is what God wants, is for our unity to be robust, uh, and that is for us to actually together wrestle with God's word. He wants us to be a learning community where we actually um, dive into God's word and together wrestle with what are the implications for my life and for our life together. Um, so, what we need to do is cultivate trust. Cultivate trust amongst each other that enables us to be able to affirm good things and celebrate good things, but to also identify what are the weaknesses or what, what are the things that we need to work on together. Fourthly, Paul's not talking about prideful knowledge, but speaking the truth in love. Um, and, um, and this is one of these re recurring themes. You know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's chapter 8. Well, listen to chapter 13. You'll know chapter 13 well. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries of knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And then he goes on to say, love is patient, love is kind, and so on. Christian maturity is not just about how much you know, but it is about knowing the truth and, and applying the truth in love. Uh, right? We mustn't forget that step. Right? Even that healthy confrontation, what keeps it healthy is we do it in love uh, for a constructive outcome. And fifthly, the unity Paul's talking about is not inward or insular, but outward-looking. Uh, you know, we could try to become, and some churches this happens, where you become kind of this holy huddle, where you're kind of so focused on unit, unity with each other that you kind of shut out the outside world. But that is not Christian. Right? That is not, that's not Jesus. Jesus, uh, in, in, in a sense, the inner crowd were ticked off by Jesus because he kept on going to the sinners and tax collectors and they didn't get it. Uh, and, and in chapter um, 10, Paul will plead with us to not merely seek our own good, but the good of many. And he's talking about more than just the church, the good of many, so that they may be saved. And then he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So part of our unity is a deep desire to help others come to know Jesus and come to be saved 
and to be part of his community. Um, now, look, what I'll do um, is I might just give you a moment just to have a chat with the person next to you. Are there any questions that come to mind? Um, Jeff, you're sitting next to a microphone, so you've been elected as the one. Right, so just have a chat to the person next to you. If any questions come to mind, and in a moment we'll, we'll have an opportunity to kind of field some questions from the floor. Right, so just have a, have a moment chatting to the person next to you. Any questions come to mind? Or, or any comments you want to make to one another. Okay, does anyone, uh, does anyone out there have a question? You put your hand up. Yes, brother uh, Alan over here. Thanks, Jeff, working his way through the crowd. Working those muscles. <laughs> Good one. <Didn't> run. <laughs> um, uh, this, this is a probably complex question. You may not be able to answer it in a few words. Yeah. Is it godly to agree to disagree? Is it godly to agree to disagree? Does it honour God? Um, Oh, wow, great question. All right, so... Um, uh, look, so let's have... Let's ha let, let, me, let me try a step at a time to work this one through. So, so come over to verse 10 and see what he's saying there. So, is it godly to agree to disagree? I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there might be no divisions among you, but that you might be perfectly united in mind and thought. There really is a, a desire to be able to agree, isn't there? So the goal is agreement. Uh, and uh, this, is, this is why I say we're trying to create a learning community where we actually wrestle with the truths of God's word together. Um, uh, and now I, th I think the idea of you know, agreeing to disagree, I think it can be godly, but I don't think we want to jump there too quickly. Uh, I don't think we want to shortcut actually being able to wrestle with the truths of God's word and seeking to come to a common mind um, on it. So I, don't, so I don't think it's godly to go there too quickly, uh, but I think there are some instances where we just say, I don't think that issue is of such importance uh, that we ought to kind of quarrel over that, because quarrelling is, is part of the issue that Paul's picking up here. And so I, I guess part of, the, part of the answer to that is there are some things where, where we just don't know for certain, and at the end of the day, it's not core foundational truth. 
And so I think that's probably what we need to do, is we've got to, we've got to become united on the core things, um, but also work out what are some of the peripheral things that we can actually disagree with each other on. We can still speak into it and wrestle with it, but we can come to a point where we say, oh, I agree to disagree, and that's not going to breach our fellowship. And I think the key thing is working out, is this a core gospel truth, or is this one of those things that uh, Christians can disagree over, uh, and yet it not impact their fellowship? So that, there's, there's, an, there's an attempt at an answer. Did, did you want to come back just before? All good? Yep, yep. Um, Bob's down in the front here. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Aren't we being encouraged by Paul to respect diversity? Yeah, respect diversity. Yep. Yes, Absolutely. to love and respect diversity so that we might be an arm, a leg, a foot, whatever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So that may th- not necessarily mean division. Yeah, yeah. But we need yep. to respect diversity. Absolutely. So, and, and that's what I'm saying. In chapter 12, we are so diverse uh, and we're all kind of different parts of the body and we play our different role, and the goal is to strengthen the whole body. So we, reflect, we respect diversity, and when we get to chapters 8, 9, and 10, Paul will talk about some who are weaker and some who are stronger, some who kind of have tender conscience and some who have a robust conscience. And what they need to do with each other is not bully each other into submission, but to show love to one another and that's, that's certainly an instance where they kind of can embrace differences without bullying one another. But at the same time, you get a sense that Paul wants them to also to grow and in, in their knowledge so that they have a robust knowledge, but never divorce from love. Yeah. Is there another question? Yeah. Um, so is there a difference in Paul, because he was an apostle and he planted the church... And so he's um, like dealing with all these issues um, with the commu- within the community. Yep. Um, then to us as lay people, a part of the community, like would it be wise to just deal with these things ourselves or is it actually different in him dealing with it? Do you know what I mean? Yep. Okay. So thanks, Tegan. I can hardly see you there because you're, you're in the dark. But um, so the question is... Uh, Paul is an apostle and he speaks with an authority um, that none of the members of church in Corinth had uh, and he speaks with an authority, you know, way beyond my authority. Um, And so it's one thing for him to deal with them, with these issues. It's another thing for us to deal with them, with each other. Um, Yeah, and so I, I think... I agree, with, I agree with that. I think there is a difference. And so what we do is we as Christians, what, we have the words of the apostle. And so what we need to do is use that as our reference point to actually help one another resolve some of these things. Uh, so our authority is not kind of independent of the scriptures, but it's very much part of the scriptures. But I think this is what our growth groups ought to aspire to do, where we actually are challenging one another, not in a, not in a nasty way, but in a way where we're kind of, where we're creating growth 
Yeah, and, and part of growth is that kind of conflict of actually recognising, oh, there are, I may not have got that right and, and, and coming to a, a right mind about it. So I, so I think we do ha definitely have a role with each other in this and that's why he, he says that I appeal to you to agree with one another. And in Romans chapter 15, I can't remember the verse, verse 14 or something like that, he says, you yourselves are competent to teach one another, to teach and instruct one another. That we ought not to, to, to undermine the responsibility and the opportunity for us to genuinely teach and instruct one another as a community, not just the people standing up front here. Uh, someone want to chase down the reference? Is it Romans chapter 15? Who's got it there? 15, I was, uh, 15, 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Right? We, we are a learning community, competent to instruct one another. And that's what we want to keep aspiring to. Okay, let me um, wrap things up. So, uh, oh, oh, one more question. All right, yeah, let me... Let me okay, good. Go, go, Brother Bob. So, David, um, in those circumstances where we would love to confront somebody on something... Healthy confrontation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but we realise that in doing so, we'd probably break fellowship. So, in those circumstances, I feel it's important for us to engage prayer yep. for yep. that person in that situation rather than a confrontation. Yep. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, so Bob's saying if, if, if there's a, a confronting an issue that we feel like could end in a breach of fellowship, definitely pray about it. And if you're feeling like this, this is a potentially fellowship-breaking thing, then you want to actually consult the wisdom of, some others about it and 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 because you want to you want to tread very carefully into it uh, and again you know paul gives heaps of advice on this um, um in galatians 6 great advice i just can't remember exactly what it is galatians 6 just gives us gives advice on 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 gently uh instructing one another um and, and I, my feeling is if you suspect that it, that it could go bad, you want to follow your instincts and actually go, how can I draw some wisdom from some others? Not to gossip, but to actually work out what's the most constructive way to work this through. Um, yeah, because we don't want to lightly head into that kind of territory. Yeah. All right. I'm going to um, wrap things up. Great questions. Thank you. I began talking about toxic relationships and so often the solution in our world for toxic relationships is to get rid of them like poison get them out of your life um, and there may be some occasions where that is what we need to do in in some relationships but thankfully Paul is reluctant to break church relationships even when they are dysfunctional and it's because he believes in the power of God through the gospel of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit to forgive and transform and to create genuine unity. 
So I want to just address a couple of groups as I finish up. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, uh, it is great to have you here. And we would love you to come and discover Jesus uh, at this life series we're running on the 18th of May, I think Jeff mentioned earlier. Um, Because Jesus is the one who is creating this community. And if you think, oh, this this is actually a good community, it comes on the back of knowing Jesus and being forgiven by him. So we'd love you to come and explore the course with us. If you're already a Christian and you've just started coming along to the Lakes Church, the Connect series is a great place to start. And I think that one also is starting in just a couple of weeks' time. Um, We would love you to join us, but as you start joining our church, we want you to know very clearly we are far from perfect, right? So don't think you're joining the end goal, perfectly united gathering of God. What are you, why are you chuckling? <laughs> uh, they're chuckling because there's an irony, you know, because it's, it's not like that. But that is certainly what we're striving to. And if you join our church, we want you to join and work with us to that end. You can actually make a difference uh, and help us be the sort of community that Jesus calls us to be. And for the rest of us, the regular members of this church, do you hear the call of Jesus today? He wants a deeply united community. Uh, so there's, there's a bit of a summary. What action do you need to take today? Take a minute, reflect and pray personally, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer out loud. pray. God our Father, we want to thank you for gathering us here today to be part of your people, your family. We are sorry that so often our relationships are unhealthy, disconnected by gossip, competitiveness, greed, selfishness and pride. We allow the values of our world to come into this fellowship. Please forgive us through the blood of Jesus, and transform us even today through your word and your spirit that we might be a genuine, loving, deeply connected community. Father, help us to put aside grumbling and complaining. Help us to work together with the gifts that you've given each one of us. Help us to honestly and lovingly wrestle with your word together bring us to a common mind and may we shine the light of your love into this lonely and divided region in which we live to the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen.